I often discourage people from using dream dictionaries because we have this habit of we just want to Google it and um, we want a quick bottom line answer to what our dream means. And I understand that impulse, but that's not where the magic of dream work lies, actually. Where it lies is in a courtship of those symbols. I believe that you don't need any outside resources, not even symbol dictionaries, not a vast wealth of archetypes and mythology or any of these things. In fact, these things can be hindrances from the engaging relational process of making a courtship of your dreams, having them open up their secret depths to us, and then feeling bonded not just with them, but them with us. Now, this is takes some sensitivity to understand, but over time, we realize that our symbols are living, breathing beings that are also affected by how we approach them. They may flower open greater and greater depths to us, or if we come at them too strongly or with intellect alone and not enough feeling, may close up their doors to us as well. Prophecies have foretold, and wisdom keepers all know, that the rise of the feminine will restore balance to our world. In this podcast, we are on a journey to understand the root of the imbalance that has caused disconnection and dysfunction within our humanity, so we can emerge as leaders, creating a new story on Earth. I'm Lauren Walsh. And I'm Shayna Connors. With humble hearts and open minds, we will converse with spiritual teachers, historians, psychologists, revolutionaries, leaders, and healers to navigate these evolving times and reintegrate the feminine history that we have forgotten. Welcome to the Time of the Feminine podcast. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Time of the Feminine podcast. I've been thinking a lot about this phrase, Time of the Feminine. And I don't know, maybe, just maybe, we might go through a rebirth in this podcast and evolve into another time. Time of union, the time of balance, the time of bridging the divide. Who knows? So stay tuned for that little teaser. And today I had an amazing interview with a woman named Toko Pa. And we spoke about dreams, not the dreams. I mean, oh my God, dreams. What are they? First of all, what are they and why are they so important? How do we listen to the symbols and interpret our dreams and remember our dreams and use our dreams as a way to navigate being human, being these souls that are connected to something greater with access to an intelligence that's guiding the way. They say there's no instruction manual to life, and perhaps that's true, but I do not believe that we're not being guided. We are being guided. Our soul speaks to us. Our subconscious speaks to us. Spirit speaks to us, and often through the medium of our dreams. I like to think about initiation processes. 
and the importance of when somebody's going through a deep level of initiation, like let's say a person going through a deep dieta in a village and becoming a shaman, something like this. And I'm speaking about indigenous people, right? Specifically in this case, the tribe Yawanawa. I know that when you do this really strong diet every day, you wake up and there's a page or a shaman who is guiding you. And each day you, you sit and you, you tell the page about your dreams and you learn to interpret and understand because there's so much richness, there's so much power and there's so much access to a greater being. Maybe that being is our own higher selves. Maybe it's the soul. Maybe it's the soul that connects us all. Maybe it's the collective unconscious, whatever it is. There's information within the dreams that if we listen to and if we attune to and if we study can help us become more powerful in who we are, help us make decisions. But the problem is it's confusing. A lot of us don't know how to understand what our dreams mean. And maybe we just kind of say, oh, well, we stop thinking about it. Today, we talk with a renowned expert in dreaming. Her name is Toko Pa. And we dive into how we can get started on the process of, um, I don't know exactly what I would call it, becoming more skillful, becoming more masterful at understanding our own psyche or, or spirit as it speaks to us through the dreams. So a little bit about Tokopa. Blending the mystical tradition of Sufism in which she was raised with a Jungian approach to dream work, Tokopa founded the Dream School in 2001 from which thousands of students have since graduated. She is the author of the award-winning book, Belonging, Remembering Ourselves Home, which explores the themes of exile and the search for belonging. This book has resonated for readers worldwide and has been translated into 10 different languages. Sometimes called a midwife of the psyche, Tokopa's work focuses on restoring the feminine, reconciling paradox, Mm, my girl, I love that. And reconnecting with the other world. All right, let's dive deep in. Hey, Tokopa, welcome to the Time of the Feminine podcast. It's good to have you. Thank you, Lauren. It's great to be here with you. So I'm curious about your name. Is that your given name? Well, how did you receive this name, Tokopa? Yeah. It is of my given name. So my parents were both poets back in the 70s, and they found this book of poetry called Technicians of the Sacred. And there was a poem in there, which was, it was sort of a book of ethno poetry. So there was a, a Maori poem in there that referenced the deity Tokopa, who in the Maori creation myth is the parent of the mist. And they liked the sound of that. So they gave me that name. And it, growing up with such an unusual name definitely presented some challenges. <laughs> but as I got older, I found like it really suited me, especially working as I do with dreams. I like to think of that mist as the veil between the worlds. So it feels mm. more and more like just the right name for me. <laughs> mm. The veil between worlds. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So 
my focus and passion has been working with dreams. And ever since I was very small, I had really vivid, exciting dreams. And the more I dreamed, the more I wanted to know about dreams. And so eventually, I guess in my late teens, I discovered the work of Carl Jung. And this was sort of like discovering this um, planet full of people who spoke the language that I didn't know was my original tongue. <laughs> and so I fell in love with the work of Jung and, and the people who come out of that lineage. And eventually, sort of circuitously, ended up working with dreams myself. And I just started wanting to share my passion with other people in my community about dreams and how to understand the language of dreams. And it just sort of grew and grew from there. And as a writer from a young age, I started to write my ideas and thoughts and discoveries from dreams that dreams had been teaching me into a kind of poetic format. And that's how many people have ended up crossing paths with me is through my writing on dreams. Mm. So I have some questions. First, when you discovered, how old were you when you discovered Young's work? I think I was 19 when I came across the book, Men and His Symbols. And I just gobbled it up like I was starving for this kind of food. So that would have been the first Young book I discovered. And so before that, you were dreaming and having dreams, but what was your life like before that moment that kind of maybe helped you? It seems like that moment of understanding this other language really helped expand you and guide you on your path. What was the experience leading up to that moment for you as a child and young adult? I wrote a book called Belonging, Remembering Ourselves Home. And belonging is, it's about dreams and it's about my broader definition of dream work, which is this tending to the relationship between the seen and the unseen worlds. But it's also memoir. And so I tell a lot of my own personal story, how I left home at a very young age. I was 14 and I ended up entering the system and, and really became an orphan at that age, even though I had parents who were still living in the world, they weren't um, involved in my life. And so it was a very lonely and disorienting and initiatory time. And the only thing that I really had to turn to was my dreams. And I remember keeping a journal, and I think I still have that journal, actually, that wow. first journal where I started tracking my dreams and paying attention to my dreams. And in, at that age, of course, I didn't really understand how to interpret symbolic language, but I did have a great number of experiences of synchronicity as if something was divinely guiding me in this time of great lostness through my mm -hmm. life. And of course, it would be a few years before I would discover how to understand symbolic language and really apply myself to learning that art form. But I suppose at a certain point, I was able to look back and say that even though I didn't always understand what my dreams were saying, there was a sense of being guided, of being raised by something greater than myself alone. That's very deeply touching. 
And I'm thinking about you in your orphanhood, in that time of your life, going to sleep and having these messages or these sensations and these images, even though you couldn't fully understand them, knowing that you weren't alone because there was something greater communicating with you. Can you explain what was the experience? How did you know? Were your dreams beautiful? Were they difficult? Were they a combination? Was there just this kind of presence that you could feel guiding you? Could you give us a little bit more of a visceral picture for you? Yeah. I mean, they were all of the above. There certainly were times of enormous shadow coming through in dreams. And I would relate that period to, especially in my early 20s, there was a huge amount of shadow material that had to be processed in my life, just because of how I grew up and the trauma that I had experienced, both being raised in the in my family of origin, but also after that, because mm. I endured quite a lot of hardship leaving home and having to find my way in the world without adults, really. And so there were a lot of very difficult dreams. And this is one of the problems in our culture that we don't have people in our midst to turn to with our dreams and say, what is happening here? What is trying to be communicated to me? And so I struggled with that, certainly as I imagine a lot of people do when you wake up from an earth-shattering dream and you're like, wow, I think a lot of the time I felt like my dreams were just trying to torture me because their content was so scary, scary and even repulsive or violent, things like that. It took me a long time to learn that when we are not actively tending to our dreams. There's a communication that comes through the imagery, in a sense, has to turn up the volume to get our attention. So when we have these really terrifying, scary dreams, it's usually because we haven't tended to them in some way. Um, and that could look like not having the resources to understand our dreams, but it could also look like trying to escape the difficulty of our lives in various ways, whether that looks like imbibing social media or other addictions, various forms of escapism. And so the dreams turn their volume up and up and up until they wake us from sleep and our heart is pounding and we have these images underneath our eyelids now in our memories that we struggle to understand. And I definitely had a lot of those kinds of dreams in the early, in my late teens and in my early 20s, certainly. And when it was really more when I was able to engage in the process of being becoming curious about my dreams, about what they might be telling me, and deriving insight and wisdom from those images that I began to feel as if now I was engaging in a dialogue. There was a sense of reciprocity of me being able to respond, either through the way that I would just integrate things at the level of consciousness, or the way that I chose to move in the world differently, or in my relationships differently, as a result of what the dreams were telling me. 
And then the dreams would respond to me responding to them. And so we start to have this momentum, a sense of moving forward on a path or a pattern that's being laid out for our lives. So in the Jungian tradition, there's an understanding that we come into the world not as a blank slate, but actually with an inborn story that we are meant to live. And when we pay attention to the communication of the soul, of the psyche, we get a sense of that story. Um, and a lot of it begins with having to unpack and hinder ourselves of some of the things that block us from living that story. Mm. I can imagine that as a young child, feeling quite alienated and perhaps afraid and alone, having these beautiful experiences in your dreams to comfort you, and then entering into your 20s when you were ready to kind of unpack that material and the shock of the intensity of that. And I relate to you in that also through my past in my 20s, I had a lot of shadow material to unpack and my dreams were very terrifying. And I have questions about that for those who experience difficult dreams or strong dreams. It feels like there's multiple levels of dreams for me. There's like subconscious material dreams. It's just, it's dreams that are showing me the imprint of the consciousness or the trauma or the pattern that I'm holding, whether for my family or in the collective or my soul came in here to try to navigate with. It's something that's like with me that I'm trying to un unlearn or heal or navigate through. And then there's a different level dream that feels like spirit realm where not like beautiful spirit realm, but like a different dimension of where I encounter spirits perhaps connected to my lineage and myself. And then there's another realm of dream, which feels like divine guidance dream, like divine entities come and share. And those are the most rare for me, but the most memorable, super profound. And I would like to ask you just about what I just said and your experience of that and how you understand the different realms that we're literally tapping into when we sleep. Yeah, I think it's great that you've developed a kind of system of understanding different levels of dreams, and it can be helpful to have categories. But I think there really are so many, many more than that, <laughs> just because when you get into sort of like a taxonomy of dreams, I mean, the conversation can be endless, right? Because we have precognitive dreams, which are about time nature of space-time. And then we can have dreams that are archetypal in nature, which is about those maybe underlying patterns of the universe that have always existed in the species. And then there are dreams that you're calling maybe divine, which Jung might have called numinous dreams, which maybe are a little bit more rare and come from a very deep part of our sleep cycle, which is why they're slightly, they're quite a bit more difficult to retrieve and to dream recall. And then, yeah, ancestral dreams, which are 
perhaps looking at the patterns of our particular family lineage. Yeah. And then dreams we could term shadow dreams, which are very much about the blockages and hindrances in our own psychic makeup. But then we could also talk about collective dreams that are dealing with when shadow constellates at the collective level has moved it to mass proportions. Um, which, of course, we're all part of the same ecosystem. So we have access to that same, those same influences. So, yeah, I find that I, people do find this categorization of dreams helpful. But I think after a while, when you've spent a long time sort of immersing yourself in dreams, categories tend to fall away. And you can start to see how all of these things may be present in a single dream. And the boundaries of psyche are a lot less delineated than we maybe think how our psyches are actually in relation with each other. So yeah, so there's this is why I've devoted my life to this topic because it's endlessly fascinating and interesting and there are so many layers. And then I'll also maybe I'll just throw another spanner in the works there and talk about synchronicity because what about the waking dream too? Right? What how often does it happen? Probably fairly often for a lot of people that we have these events and images that appear in the so-called objective reality, which seem to mimic or reverberate with something we have dreamed or something we are thinking about or something we are dealing with internally. So that brings up some really fascinating questions of where exactly is the dream? I think I want to take a course with you. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds great. Okay, I have so many questions. (laughs) I'm thinking of all the women listening. And I think what I would really love for the women listening and the people listening to this is that like what I heard you say that I think is so beautiful, so true, so profound is that the dreams, dialoguing and understanding our dreams as a path to the liberation of an elevation of our own soul and and our healing and our our self fulfillment and our self realization. I heard you mention that, and I I'm assuming, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that this dream path has been a strong avenue of healing yourself and becoming more who you are here to be in the world, knowing your own soul more, and. I guess I would love to know the first steps to that process for those who are listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I would just add to that that it isn't just about my own evolution as a being and for my own unfolding story, but I just want to keep bringing it back to systems thinking because my own story fits fractally into a larger unfolding, which is the human consciousness. And so everything I can do to live into alignment with my personal story contributes to that, those movements on the larger systems scale. And I will just say that I have been exposed to a lot of different spiritual traditions and paths in my life, but nothing Nothing even comes close to the power and magic of working with your own dreams. Because here are this, here is this vast 
wellspring, an inexhaustible wellspring of tailor-made images and symbols for your own creative unfoldment coming right through your psyche. And the way that I frame this is nature, because it is a biological function. Dreaming is biological by nature. And so it is nature, naturing through us, quite literally. I don't really mean this as a metaphor. I mean something is dreaming these images through us. And the analogy that I use is the way that we can think of the fruiting bodies of mushrooms or flowers on a a flowering bush. Something is flowering these dreams through us. And what's so amazing about that is when we look back at a dream that we had that was 20 years ago, and we see that it that dream pivotally shifted us onto the path of purpose for us, we can see that something in us knew which way we were supposed to go. And the way that we know this is that each dream that we have is an evolution upon the last dream. If you have a recurring dream, for instance, I know I'm, I'm sort of going off on a tangent and I do want to answer your question, but Keep it feels going, it's great. like <laughs> just giving the context could be helpful. So when you have a recurring dream, for instance, that is being stuck in a loop of, say, a response to a certain stimuli and repeating your response to that stimuli, causing the same reaction over and over and over again. But when you work with the dream to try to understand what that dream is saying and to turn towards it instead of away from it, then if you understand it correctly, the dream moves forward and you won't have that dream again. You may have um, an evolution upon the theme. And then if you track that across a period of time, I'm sure you can relate to this, Lauren, of having a series of dreams on a certain theme. And you're like, oh, I keep dreaming of water, water, water. And why is that happening? But when you reflect upon it, having understood it properly, you can see that it's moving you in a certain direction. Well, this is kind of amazing. It's a lot lot like, I guess an analogy would be like DNA, that there's this little map, this tiny atomic map inside of us, which has the ultimate shape of who we're meant to be at a biological level contained within it, so too is it with us psychically. So where do you start? That's the question that you originally have. Where do you start? Well, the very first starting place is writing down your dreams. And I think this may seem incredibly obvious, but Dreams love to be written down. And I think this is because it's a kind of like bringing out of the psyche into the material world. It's a materialization of the dream. And most people skip this step and they do it like this. They think, 
oh, that was a weird dream, or that was a boring dream, or I just had that dream because I did that thing yesterday. There are so many reasons to dismiss a dream, but as soon as you dismiss it, the dreams will start to recede. They'll start to become less frequent. They'll start to uh, become distant from us, and eventually they'll disappear altogether, and then we'll find ourselves saying things like, well, I don't remember my dreams. Well, I remind people that forgetting is a choice. It's a passive choice, but it's a choice nonetheless. And so you can choose to remember. And this may look like just writing down a single fragment that you'd rather dismiss and say is unimportant or mundane or it's not the exciting dream you wanted (laughs) or whatever it is. But that's where you start. You start by giving it value and writing it down and becoming curious about it. And in modern times, we have lost the ability to think symbolically. And this is very unfortunate because we have dreams and we immediately think literally. So let's say, for instance, you dream that your partner cheated on you. And you wake up and you're mad at your partner and you think, how could you? And you're heartbroken and you feel humiliated and you have all of these emotions attached to it. But thinking symbolically is a very small but necessary shift that we have to make when thinking about our dreams. And so a dream of your partner cheating on you symbolically interpreted would be, well, where you know, we first we have to think of the partner as being symbolic. Now that's very hard because it means having a degree of, I guess you could say, objectivity about this person in your dreams. And maybe, so if I were speaking about my partner, I would say, well, my partner is the person who I love most on earth. My partner is the person who understands me more than anybody ever has. My partner is the person who reminds me of who I am at a soul level. So if I know this now, then I can say, well, if I have a dream of my partner cheating on me, well, in what way am I abandoning or cheating on the part of me that understands me at a soul level? That really shifts the perspective completely. It is looking at the dream and the psyche as a kind of ecosystem where all of the aspects are part of a holistic self, a holistic system. And so partner who is cheating on me is actually two aspects of myself, one that feels abandoned and one that is doing the abandoning. And then I have to really look at a strong mirror and say, well, where am I, say, feeling abandoned? We can take either of those two positions. Where am I feeling abandoned? Well, maybe I'm feeling abandoned because I'm giving up on my creative project because I don't feel like it's good enough or that somebody else could do a better job than me. Well, there we can take a little bit of a shift now into the position of the symbolic partner and say, well, I've abandoned myself in this 
say, I'm just using an illustrative example here of the creative projects because it's one I can relate to. But in those times of doubt where we think, oh, I'm not good enough and I, you know, I'll never be able to complete this and I don't have what it takes, I should just say, fuck it and do something more practical. That's a kind of abandonment, isn't it? And so that becomes a strong mirror. And so this shift to thinking symbolically, for some people, it comes more naturally. For other people, it's a little bit more difficult. But with repetition and practice, we learn that symbolic thinking is actually our mother tongue. It's the language of our bodies. It's the language of the earth itself, metaphor. So that's a starting place. And from there, it is an art form. And as I was saying earlier, you can spend your lifetime learning about this and still feel as if you have not scratched the surface. But working with fairy tales can help. Working with any kind of symbolic language can help. Trying to understand the nature of metaphor and analogy can help. Okay, I have a question about that. Thank you. That was great. So. In dream analysis, would it be true to view ourselves and the people or animals or even objects in our dreams as aspects of ourselves? Yes. Okay. So it kind of depends on how you define self. (laughs) So this is where we get to really complicated metaphysics, but I would simply say, sure, why not? (laughs) Okay, great place to start. (laughs) It's a great place to start. I think one of the classic questions, is this dream about an objective situation in my life or is this dream about my internal relations? And often the answer is yes to these either or questions. Often dreams operate at multiple levels at once. In the dream example that I used before, is my partner cheating on me? Is that an objective situation? Well, I can pretty safely say no, it's not an objective situation. But somebody else might actually question whether or not the relationship that they're in feels trustworthy. But then once you've tried on that interpretation to your dream, you can go a little deeper and say, well, how does it feel at the subjective level. And this is where you ask yourself about those internal dynamics, which are represented by archetypes, which show up in different images like objects and characters and places and and feelings. And we can ask ourselves if these internal dynamics are taking place for us in our waking life or even unconsciously. And then we can even sometimes ask, is this something that is also happening at the cultural level? And you may find that all three levels have a yes to them. But I think often, more often than not, there is an internal dynamic which is being represented at the level of psyche in these dreams. And the place where it gets trick into tricky metaphysics is often those dynamics that are happening internally tend to play out in our relationships as well. 
And so that's why you often have that double yes going on and sometimes a triple yes, because you can often find those dynamics at cultural levels, which is where we learned those patterns in the first place. So it does get sort of complicated, but I would say the warning that I would have is not to just leave it at the objective level, because I would invite most people to go deeper than that and to look into the mirror that their dreams are providing. So would you say that it's valuable for each one of us to kind of build our psychic library, as a woman named Carissa Schumacher would put it, where we understand that symbols that appear in our lives, the assigned meaning we've created for them, because those symbols would likely be used in our dreams? Or would you advise people to kind of study a methodology of understanding what symbols mean? Oh, great question. No, I don't think we need any kind of dictionaries. And in fact, I often discourage people from using dream dictionaries because we have this habit of we just want to Google it and um, we want a quick bottom line answer to what our dream means. And I understand that impulse, but that's not where the magic of dream work lies, actually. Where it lies is in a courtship of those symbols. And so this word courtship is the so-called methodology that I use when I teach people to work with their dreams. And the reason why I love this silly word is that it's an old-timey word that nobody ever uses anymore. But in the old days, courtship was this really lovely sort of dance that we would do when we felt strong affection for another person or, or even a discipline. We would stand not too close to that other, maybe circle around them from a respectful distance, become curious about how they move, what they look like, what feeling we get from them, uh-huh. what they seem to, what quality they're giving off. And we become curious about them and maybe we circle in a little closer if they invite us to. And we go into those deeper levels of what they deeply long for, what they desire. And so this courtship would ultimately, hopefully result in a kind of a union, a marriage in the analogy that I'm using here. But I love this for dream symbols because I believe that you don't need any outside resources, not even simple dictionaries, not a vast wealth of archetypes and mythology or any of these things. In fact, these things can be hindrances from the engaging relational process of making a courtship of your dreams, having them open up their secret depths to us, and then feeling bonded not just with them, but them with us. Now, this is takes some sensitivity to understand, but over time, we realize that our symbols are living, breathing beings that are also affected by how we approach them. They may flower open greater and greater depths to us, or if we come at them too strongly or with intellect alone and not enough feeling, may close up their doors to us as well. Oh, so so lovely. Everything you just said, (laughs) that was so magical and beautiful. You definitely live within two worlds. And I totally (laughs) understand what you're saying. 
and it's soothing to my soul. Thank you. Mm. <laughs> okay. I have a question. It's a selfish question, but I think it will be useful <laughs> because now I have you here and I've asked- I, I have a guest. I had a dream the other night. <laughs> it's basically like this, but it wasn't the other night. It was multiple years ago. And I'm just going to tell, I'm going to tell it. And I'm just, cause it, it's I'm here for it. I'm here for it. So I had this magical dream. I was in this, you know, those man-made wave pools at like a theme park that's water-based. I was in a man-made wave pool in the waves, swimming with these amazing ocean creatures. And then I had this beautiful encounter with this otter. Like this otter came up to me and looked me deep in the eyes. And I had this beautiful encounter with this otter. And then next scene, I'm by this edge of the water and I'm teaching a class. And a couple days later, after I had this dream, I got an, I saw this guy who is married to my cousin. And he said to me, Lauren, I had this crazy dream and you were in it. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, I was going through this really hard moment with my ex-wife. And then I prayed and I went to bed and I had this dream that I was in this crazy wave pool and there was all of these ocean animals. And then afterwards I was sitting in a class that you were teaching. We had it on the same night. Wow. How do we explain that? <laughs> Incredible story. Holy moly. I was already blown away when you were gazing into the otter's eyes, but then the synchronicities. Holy moly. So what did you make of all this and where have you arrived with it? Well, for me, I'm a daughter of the water and I have a deep reverence for the queen of the sea, Mama Yemanja or Yemanya in Yoruban culture. And I have a, a deep connection with the ocean and also with Oshun, with like the, the spirit of the river. And so it felt this was a cleansing and a guidance and a direction for me. I took it as a message that I was meant to help people heal through my words and to bring the medicine of the waters on the deep emotional level and support people. That's the message I took from it. And I mean, that makes a lot of sense because that moment you had with the otter and gazing deep into their eyes and then moving into teaching it, it definitely feels like there's a connection between those two things as if there was a, this is just my projection on your dream, but um, because normally what I would do if I were working with somebody's dream in a professional capacity, I would ask them many questions and we would open up great depths together. But just from your brief telling of it, there's a sense of whatever that quality is when you're gazing into the eyes of the otter is a quality that you can hold in your body, in your heart, in your psyche when you're teaching or when you're in the world. Does that feel like you're beautiful? Yeah, it's beautiful. I feel vulnerable sharing this publicly, but I'm glad that we just had this conversation because I'm imagining women listening are like, okay, I'm going to schedule a conversation with (laughs) Toko Pao because I have this unexplainable dream. So I hope that I might do the same and have a deeper conversation with you because I think 
I believe in fully that we're all more magical and have more gifts than we even let ourselves know. And what I love about what you're saying is that our dreams can help us really truly see and unveil what's here for us to dance in and play in and express. And I love the aspect when you said that you said shadow constellates within the collective, but I love that we're all fractals of the collective and we each have this piece of this magical mystery that we get to bring. And you really seem like a guide for that for others. And so I hope that everybody's listening. If you're like, I'm needing something in my life that, yeah, you can go find Tokopa and learn from her because I feel like it's what you're doing is ancient. It's also very indigenous. It's also very just normal in the sense that it's what you said is wrong with our culture. We're not doing this when actually it's so human. And so so necessary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This really should be at the heart of our families and our communities every day. And it's such a point of grief that it is. So I'm very excited about empowering others to explore and learn the language of dreams so that they can bring it to their communities and begin to have these conversations. Because those of us who are actively and consciously engaging with these, uh, this pattern maker that is guiding our lives, the more likely we are to survive this crisis point on planet earth well said well said so for our last question we typically ask this question if you could be a channel for the great mother what would you say but i would actually just what i'm just gonna say could you just open up through the veil (laughs) the mist Mm -hmm. and tap into guidance for all of us most needed in this moment? What would you say to all of us? Well, I think the last few years have created a lot of necessary chaos in the world and in our personal lives as a result. Occasionally, nature scrambles things up in order to collapse outdated systems and build new, healthier ones. And while this may be happening at a global level, I think each and every one of us is experiencing some version of it in our own lives, this sort of deep reconfiguration. And I think in these times of chaos and confusion, when you can't see the horizon that you're used to seeing, it's easy to think that you never will again. And that your relationship to that knowing is missing or gone. But it isn't. It's just at this time, I think we're having to do a lot more shedding and grief work and Mm -hmm. loss and detachment from old ways of knowing and old relationships and old jobs and old geographies. And we're having to reconfigure in profound ways, which can be extremely painful and lonely. And so I think if anything is going to help us with this transition, it's going to be 
first of all, turning towards our dreams so that we can at least have an internal horizon so that we can see internally which way we're being directed in any given moment. But also to begin having these kinds of conversations, depth conversations with other people in our lives so that we know that we aren't alone, that actually many of us are having this same experience. And it's through our combined imagination that we will be able to bring something about from all of this rubble. Beautifully said. Thank you so much, Tokupa, for spending this time with us and sharing your beautiful wisdom. And I want to encourage all of you who are listening to go find Tokopa on Instagram, go to her website. You'll find all of her details in the show notes below and dive into this work for yourself, for your family, for all of us. Thanks for having me, Lauren. And thanks to your team for making this happen. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Time of the Feminine podcast. It is such an honor every time to be able to host these conversations and to share the stories of the beautiful people we get the opportunity to interview. And so if you enjoyed this podcast, please go ahead and leave us a review. You can do so on Apple Podcasts and write a nice note, or you can do so on Spotify by leaving stars. We so appreciate every single one of you that's taken the effort to go out and to share with others and with our community about how this podcast has touched you. It really means so much to us since for us, this is a labor of love. And so thank you for giving back in that way. 